You are listening to the Plain Label Podcast, Rewind. Hello and welcome back to the Plain Label Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Williams, and today we are discussing the final installment for now of the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise with the 2017 film Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales. And here to discuss the film with me is returning guest, Mr. Sean Stangland. Yar, I be back again. Before getting into our discussion, I would like to mention that this podcast is brought to you by the Deliberate Noise Network. Head over to DeliberateNoise.com and check out some of the other shows that are over there. All right, Mr. Stangland, let's talk about what we're having beverage-wise. <laughs> are you uh, yo-ho-hoing in a bottle of rum, or what are you well, doing? I am not. You've actually caught me on a glorious day. For the first time ever, I found a six-pack of Three Floyd Zombie Dust at a store. Mm -hmm. This is like the top-rated beer in America, and it's impossible to find because people camp out Thursday morning when they get their shipment, when the local liquor stores get their shipment and buy it immediately. Well, I went to a liquor store today at 4.30, and they had one six-pack left. So Zombie Dust IPA... <laughs> Or maybe it's an APA. I forget which it's classified as, but it is it is the top rated beer in America. And it was like the uh, the Ark of the Covenant, and there was light that shone down upon the six pack. And yes, it was amazing. It was like it was like it was like Hugh Jackman looking into the light mm. at the end of the fountain. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> that's right. You got me in a drink there. Yes, that is exactly. Uh, that's exactly what I was going to say next. The old that one of my favorite uh, <laughs> little gifts that I send to Mister Seagrass whenever he says something stupid. Yes. <laughs> okay, so what I'm having is this is a bit of a return, a return to form with a little bit of uh, with a little bit of Pirates of the Caribbean thrown in. So I went and found some simply grapefruit, which was a staple of the Eric Williams. Plain Label podcast drink roll call for quite a while. I'd been off the the Simply Grapefruit because when we moved, there's just not a grocery store anywhere near us that sells grapefruit juice. Hmm. And so I was at the other side of town, and I don't remember what I was doing. But anyway, so I went to the grocery store and found some Simply Grapefruit. So I'm giving that another whirl. It is extremely tart, which makes all of the booze, like... To where you can't taste it, and so that what that's what would get me in trouble before, where I would be <laughs> fairly nonsensical on the recordings. <laughs> uh, and so I am, of course, as uh, many should be able to guess, having a little bit of white rum in with my simply grapefruit in honor of Pirates of the Caribbean. There you go. Yeah. So, okay, I think we stretched that out far enough. <laughs> let's uh let's talk about our film it is from last year it is the <laughs> we'll talk about the title too it is titled pirates of the caribbean dead men tell no tales
me by name. Find Sparrow for me and relay a message from Capitan Salazar and tell him death would go straight for him. And the IMDb plot synopsis goes like this. When deadly ghost pirates led by his old nemesis, the terrifying Captain Salazar, escape from the Devil's Triangle, determined to kill every pirate at sea, Captain Jack's only hope of survival lives in, mm, lies in seeking out the legendary Trident of Poseidon, a powerful artifact that bestows upon its possessor total control over the seas. And that is one sentence. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) the old five lines one sentence perfect so uh yeah let's talk about this movie so this is javier bardem playing a bad guy right captain jack we've got um a sort of uh what do they even call it when it's uh when orlando bloom is playing at the very beginning and then he's (laughs) at the very end a cameo? Well, it's a cameo, yeah, but it's it's basically oh a framing a framing sequence. A framing device. Yeah. Yes. That's what he's in it. Uh we have a little bit of a cameo from another person. We've got David Wenham in the movie. Mm-hmm. We've got a few <laughs> uh returning favorites from before. We've got Jeffrey Rush, of course. We've got two new characters. We've got All kinds of stuff going on in this movie. So, Sean, tell me what you thought when you saw this in the theater and then what you thought when you saw it on second glance. Okay. Well, in the theater, like, I know when I'm watching it that it's not good. (laughs) But I'm so just excited to to be in that world again. Because it had been a while, yes? It had been a while. And I just... You get more than anything, as I'm sure anyone who has heard me a few times in this, I get sucked in by the music. Mm-hmm. And even though this is credited to Jeff Zanelli solely, mm-hmm. I couldn't tell you any of the original material in this because it's all quoted from Hans Zimmer's previous scores. Well, and that's one of the things that I'm, that I thought of at the beginning. I was like, oh, they're playing, here's the, here's the pirates theme. Yeah. Like here's the thing, same thing we're hearing. And then I'm, I was just kind of, tooling through the uh, trivia while the movie was playing, if that gives you a hint about what I thought about it. <laughs> and it, it said that in there, that it was not a Hans Zimmer thing, that it was his uh, sort of protege that he'd worked with or uh, someone that he had worked with, not necessarily his protege, I guess, but it was just somebody that he'd worked with on some of the earlier films. And so it was him kind of taking the reins. And I was like, well, he might as he basically just said, Hey, you know, see these other movies, just do the exact same stuff that we already did. And it speaks to kind of the nebulous nature of the Hans Zimmer machine, because a lot of these, almost every Hans Zimmer score has a credit for additional musicians, and it's always like 8, 9, 10, 14 other names. Hmm. So it's very much a collaborative process, and it's just like by default, I don't know why, somebody ends up getting credited with it. So like the first movie is credited to Klaus Bedelt, which I think is because we've talked about it, we talked about it in that 
podcast. I think it's some kind of contractual thing that they couldn't say that it was Hans Zimmer. Hmm. But Hans Zimmer is credited with additional music. But then he's sort of taken credit for that movie as the years have gone on. And, you know, in most of these situations, like, say, Jurassic World. Jurassic World has a lot of John Williams themes. It's credited to Michael Giacchino, but it says with themes by John Williams Mm -hmm. or like the new solo score, score by John Powell, Star Wars themes by John Williams. But with these Hans Zimmer scores, it's just credited to whichever member of the Hans Zimmer uh, production company, which is now called Remote Control. It's just credited to one of them. And it's just like, well, whatever. We all collaborate together all the time. So it doesn't matter. So (laughs) it's weird. It is. And that's. It's very strange, but it worked. I mean, it, it works. I, I like the music. The way the music is used in this one is better than it was used in On Stranger Tides, where you could kind of tell that the music was overcompensating for how lackadaisical the action was. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. But that that's beside the point. So that's the what I saw in the theater. I enjoyed the theater experience, mostly because of the music and because I like being in that world. Mm-hmm. I watched this movie again at home, and this movie is two hours of exposition that doesn't tell you anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. We got to the end, and I'm like, so why are they trying to get the trident, even Egg. though they've been telling yes. me the entire time why they've been trying to get the trident? <laughs> exactly, it's like, yes. It's two hours of expositional dialogue that doesn't even tell you why they're trying to do anything that they're telling you that they're trying to do. <laughs> so I don't know what happened here. I know there was a, there were a lot of problems during production. This was shot two years before it came out. Johnny Depp got in trouble during it. Uh, they had trouble take bringing the monkeys into Australia because of customs rules there. And they have two directors who had never made a Hollywood film before. So there's a lot of problems with this movie. I think it, it doesn't feel like a movie that's like disparate. It doesn't feel like a movie that was taken out of the director's hands, Mm -hmm. but you can tell that it's not right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, I think, well, so this was my first watch. This was, um, my wife and, and daughter had watched this maybe three, four weeks ago or so. And they were like, well, um, do you want to watch this with us? And I said, no, I'm good. (laughs) <laughs> like, don't you have to watch this for the podcast? And I said, yeah, I'll get to it. <laughs> and <they're> like, okay. <laughs> and so I asked her, I asked both of them what they thought when it was over. And they both just kind of looked at me and they said, it was fine. <laughs> and I think that that's the biggest crime for me with the film. It's mm-hmm. not laughable. It's not incompetently made. Mm-hmm. It's just Okay. Uh-huh. You know, it there's things that don't make sense. Uh, there's things where I was in the same deal where they were uh you know, they're trying they're following the stars and they're getting to the island and I'm like, "Wait a minute. Why are they why are they doing this?" Mm-hmm. Like, what is it that they're going here for? You know, and I was like, "What is Salazar doing this for?" I was like, "I thought he just wanted to kill Johnny Depp." And I'm like, "Hmm. What's going on?" <laughs> I just kind of <laughs> I felt like that a little bit, you know, like you were saying. Um, it did feel a little like a, it it felt like a strange debt performance as well. Yes. It didn't seem like he was having 
any fun this time. No, he gets the voice wrong. He yeah. forgot how to do his own voice. Yeah, because he does say things strangely mm-hmm. throughout the movie, and I was like, wait a minute, like that doesn't that doesn't seem right. It doesn't, <laughs> you know, it doesn't seem right. And uh I don't know. I thought that the I actually kind of thought that the um I guess I can I can see what they're doing with the whole soft reboot. Mm-hmm. Where they're have, you're bringing in the new Turner and the new Barbosa, and maybe they'll have those two and Adventures with Johnny Depp or whatever. Um, I wrote down in my notes that I didn't bother to try to figure out what was going on in the very beginning because I couldn't see it. Ooh, um, I'm watching. That's interesting. You know, I'm watching it in my in my living room with the lights off and the little. The, uh, what is Will Turner's kid's name here? Henry. Oh, God. Henry, yes. yes. <laughs> he is, uh, he's the child and he's, you know, down in the bottom of the ocean and all that stuff. And I, like, could barely see what was going on. Huh. So I was like, hmm. I don't know if this is what it's, uh, if this is what the intent was. <laughs> and I don't have any, I don't typically have any problems with that. And I was like, I put in my notes, I was like, here's, uh, me being old, dash. <laughs> Wow, this is all really dark. <laughs> See, that's interesting because I thought one of my first thoughts right away when watching this was, oh, this looks so much better than the fourth one mm. in every way. Mm-hmm. So I don't, well, of course, I've also gotten a new TV since I watched the fourth one. So uh, maybe my settings are just different. That but, could, uh, that could be because see, my computer, my uh, TV is, is elderly in terms of TVs. <laughs> like, you know, I've had it for probably. 15, 16 years. Oh, man. Yeah, I know. It's Congratulations. Like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I've had it, I've had it for a long time. It was, uh, like 2003, 2004, something like that. Wow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't have any, I don't usually have any problems with it. Uh, one of the things that I'll, one of the other things that I put down here was I thought that, um, I guess I, I like, I want to talk about Javier Bardem because I think mm-hmm. that he's at least trying to do something. I think that he has a perfect voice and sort of presence for this kind of a character. Uh-huh. I think that the actual look of him is pretty cool. I like that he's mm-hmm. got this sort of cracked lava-y looking kind of face. And then I kind of really liked, I don't know if this is a controversial opinion or not, but I I kind of liked the CGI water underwater hair thing. I, I think it looks cool, but for some when I watched this the second time, the whole time I, I, I watched any time that was on screen, I was like, think of how much money <laughs> and how many hours these poor animators had to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And to what end? Like, did it really add however, whatever the price tag was on that? Mm-hmm. Say it cost $25 million to do that with every scene that they were in. Did that add $25 million of value to this movie? Mm. Yeah, because I think my takeaway from it was, oh, that looks cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't like, oh, you know, and it was it was nice that it was there for a reason. But, oh. you know, but it didn't it didn't ultimately ultimately add up to much. And I guess they're doing that to differentiate it from the undead pirates of the first movie. It's like, mm-hmm. well, they're not skeletons. They're like ghosts, but they're frozen underwater. Like, I don't, uh, 
I guess. Yeah, and they're not like the uh, they're not like T- Will Turner and what his dad was. They're other mm-hmm. they're other ones. <laughs> they're, yeah, I, I mean, I guess I people. see the need for that because we have now it's like the third brand of cursed undead pirates. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I will say that the whole MacGuffin, the whole the Poseidon's trident, I did like the fact that. That in the script it was kind of meta to where they're like, you know what, this is just to remove all the curses. This well, is just yeah, to get rid of all the shit. <laughs> We're just cleaning then, everything up. Which is, but then the post-credit scene completely undermines <laughs> that. So it's exactly, like, what the fuck? yeah. So let's talk. <laughs> let's talk about the post-credit sequence. So you know, of course, Will Turner. He's at the beginning, so he's going to be at the end because there's there's no reason for him to show up at the beginning if he's not right. going to also be at the at the uh, climax of the film or the little uh, the denouement of the end. Mm-hmm. And so he shows up, and then we have the little cameo of Kira Knightley, who doesn't say a single fucking word. By yeah, the way, they don't. She doesn't say a word, and then they they <laughs> really went like very old school Disney with the the helicopter shot or the drone shot or whatever it was. With, uh-huh. the, with the like two people running towards each other and the music crescendoing when they hug. And I was like, whoa, they are really going for it on this mm-hmm. last bit here. Um, even though we didn't see the struggle of them being apart, really, you know, so I was like, well, right. Is that moment really earned? I don't think so. Um, so anyway, I, uh, we have this, we have the credits, we have the post credits sequence of them just sleeping and he's dreaming that. Uh, my favorite is back. Yes. Bill Knight. Mm-hmm. Yes. And he wakes up and he's like, oh, it's just a dream. And then, of course, there's remnants left to where. Yeah, like it's not barnacles on the yeah. floor. Yep. And so that I was like, oh, cool. Wait. What? Because <laughs> <What? laughs> that's, you know, and, and, and Anna had come in to watch the post credit sequence because she hadn't seen it. Uh-huh. A- and. She's like, oh, that means that um, that guy with, like, the octopus face and the big claw, that means that he's still... And I was like, Davy Jones? Yeah. Whatever. She's like, that's that means that he's still alive. And I was like, oh. And she's like, oh. Or, you know, she told me that. And I was like, okay. And I said, well, what about the whole trident, you know, that that got rid of all of the curses and stuff? And she just goes, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and I just walked away. <laughs> she was just like... I don't know. I'm not bothered. She <laughs> just wasn't really concerned about the whole. Because it doesn't matter. Yeah. She's just kind of like, I, whatever. It's like purely that post credit scene and even the appearance of Kira Knightley at all mm-hmm. is just like a, a, a marketing department decision. <laughs> and normally I wouldn't say something that cynical, but something happened when I saw this movie in the theater that has only happened a couple other times. And that is... I got approached by the people with the survey when I got out of the movie. This this happens very rarely when I've gone to the movies where the marketing team is actually at the theater I'm at and they have you fill out a post-movie survey. Have you ever – has this ever happened to you? Mr. Stangland. Yes. You flatter me by thinking that – First of all, a marketing team would come to Lincoln, Nebraska. Well, no, that's exactly where they should go, though. That, that is where they should go, but do they yes. go? No, I've never even seen such a thing happen. Okay, well, this has happened a few times. All right. And it's usually on movies that are kind of on the bubble. The The other time I can 
certainly remember is opening night of Scott Pilgrim. Okay. Where, because it's like, well, you know, this movie might be a hit or it might not. A very so divisive film. Yes. So the survey that I got, it's a, it's a front and back, all, it's, it was like 50 questions. Oh, wow. And the questions are very heavily skewed toward, you could tell they wanted you to tell them that Kira Knightley and Orlando, Blo- and Orlando Bloom being in the movie was a positive thing. <laughs> Look, this you is a tell. huge pain in the ass for us to get both of them here. Tell me that it was worth yes. them being in the you, movie. You can tell that it was specifically designed to find out whether their presence in the movie made it better and if it made you want to see another one. So, I mean, that right there, I mean, when I saw the movie, I'm like, well, there's no reason to have them in this. Especially Kira Knightley with no dialogue, mm-hmm. unless you want to float it to see what the fan base thinks. And then I get this survey. I'm like, yeah, well, this is clearly, they're like, well, <laughs> if we make another one of these fucking things, should we bother to, to pay them the money to be in it? Or is it all about Jack Sparrow? Mm-hmm. And uh, honestly, my answer is I'd rather see a movie about Kira Knightley and Orlando Bloom and not even have Jack Sparrow in it anymore if they make another one. I would agree but, with you. I would agree because I think that that is the unexplored sort of place to go. Yes. Because what the hell else can you do with Jack at this point? You can't. They even did like his or his terrible origin oh, story this time. Jeez, did they ever? Wasn't that awful? <laughs> He got it, like, his name isn't even Sparrow. He was given the name Sparrow because Salazar said he flies around like a sparrow. Like, oh, really? Man. That's like, his name just couldn't be Jack Sparrow? No, like, it had to tie into something. <laughs> He's Jack the Sparrow. <laughs> That's the same problem with the movie currently in theaters, but I, I but we'll, we won't talk about that right now. <laughs> it's probably because I haven't seen it. Yes, exactly. We're talking about Solo. How'd you know? Because <laughs> as of recording, really, that's the show. and I, I, I really liked Solo, by the way. Oh, but, did you, you really? Know. Okay, great. Yes, I did. That's Until good. the third act. Mm. But the stuff that's good in it is so good that you can look past the third act. Interesting. Ron Howard doesn't get enough credit, I tell you. Really? Yeah. Well, I don't think anyone thinks of Ron Howard as a good director. I don't. I think he's made some good films, but I think his track record is not the best. But he's a hell of a nice guy, that's for sure. <laughs> well, if you go to, if you are on Instagram, you can get the Masterclass advertisement, and it'll tell you how to be a great director. And Ron Howard I've seen that. <laughs> we need to do a master shot. We need to do a. We need to do coverage. We need to do an over the shoulder. <laughs> and I, what's funny is I was like, huh. And it actually brought up a good question for me. I was like, hmm. Maybe Ron Howard really knows what he's doing. Maybe his, like, honestly, maybe he just doesn't have the best taste in what is good. Oh, he definitely knows what he's doing because he's like the, he's the epitome of the guy who came up under the Roger Corman mm-hmm. era mm-hmm. and made good. I mean, he, that's how he became a filmmaker. He started working for Roger Corman and he made, he pro- proved that he could make films for Roger, you know, these B movies for Roger Corman. And then he got a job doing night shift. Mm. and uh splash mm-hmm. so he knows what he's doing he just doesn't have the best projects to his name yeah it's interesting because you would think that if 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 he knows what he's doing that well like if he's mastered his craft so well 
he just doesn't choose the right projects or the project, you know, because at this point in his career, he has enough of a track record. You would think that well, he yeah. pick what you he would wants think to do. That the person who made Apollo 13 could make any movie yeah. that, that, that he wanted to. Cause that, I mean, that's an unimpeachable movie. It's, it's a perfect movie. It's baffling. And that was one of the things in the now defunct, uh, podcast of called filmographies that, that, uh, my buddy Cameron Rice and I used to do. We were going, we were talking about doing Ron Howard. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I, you know, I think it was, my memory is that it was a discussion of, well, has he really made that many good movies? And I was like, well, that's kind of the point. Like he's made some really good movies and then a whole bunch of like, what? Yeah. So. I don't know. Anyway, that's a, that's Solo and Ron Howard real quick. Well, yeah. I, I would put Solo in, in certainly in the top 10% of Ron Howard's mm. movies. But mm. anyway. <laughs> interesting. That is interesting. So, yes. Yeah, so we were talking about this dastardly attempt at an origin for Jack the Little Sparrow. <laughs> And we had this actor who's also got eyeliner on, and he's got, and they don't even let him use his own voice that they have Johnny Dub, Johnny Dub, oh. Dub him. Oh, so you think that's an actor? Oh, is that not, is that a CGI version, version of him? I think it's Johnny Depp with CGI, uh, de-aging on Oh, him. they did the Professor X on him? Which is why, which it looks great until he does the weird shit with his mouth that he does. Mm. <laughs> hmm. See, I was, I guess, yeah, I guess I just hoped that it was a different person. That's weird because my whole, like, I feel even worse about that now. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I'm looking it's at... It's weird. It doesn't look quite right. I mean, that's a hard thing to do. And but Disney is like Disney movies are the ones that always try to do it. Aside X Men aside, yeah, it's like Tron Legacy did it, and it was kind of weird. And like they've done the best, the oh, best examples. Of I've it. got Robert, it right. I've got it right here. Oh, Anthony Della Torre, young Jack Sparrow. Really? So I don't know if that means just his body, and maybe they did a CGI. No, I got. Yeah, I, don't know. I got a picture of him right here on IMDb. It looks uh, almost exactly like him. Really? Yeah. Well, then I stand corrected. Well, it's nice. Well, then to... you know what? I actually like that better than a digital de aging. Me too. That's but, you know, good on good for say, him for being able to do the weird mouth thing. Then. Well, yeah. <laughs> I will say, uh, de aging can can be done well now. Marvel has done two that are amazing. First in Civil War when we saw a young Robert Downey Jr. and and, and the current Robert Downey Jr. Oh, in yeah. the same scene. <laughs> right, yes. And then the first scene of Guardians 2, mm. Kurt Russell, that's mm-hmm. one of the most amazing things I've ever seen is Kurt Russell in the first scene of Guardians 2. And what's so weird about that is Kurt Russell, Kurt Russell for me is like, oh, I don't know. He's, he's one of those guys to where it's somewhat similar to the whole Ron Howard discussion that we just had. Uh, to yes. Where it's like yes, Kurt Russell could correct. be so good. He can be so good. Mm-hmm. And then he is in just trash. Because <laughs> that's what he likes. He uh, likes making stupid movies with his friends, you know? Mm. And But he can be uh, such a great actor when he wants to be. And I saw that movie. And that's what's funny about that is uh, my wife and I are going to watch this tomorrow. We're going to watch uh, Guardians 2 again. Or I'm going to uh-huh. watch it again. She hasn't seen it, and she refuses to go see Avengers until we've watched everything before. Uh huh. And that's the one thing that she's missing. And we uh-huh. don't. And we don't let Anna watch 
uh, the Guardians movies. Those are the only two that she's not allowed to see. Yeah, they are a little much much for uh, for her, aren't they? Yeah, because she's not quite ten still. Yeah, and so we're like, well, you can miss these. Like, it's not going to be anything that you're, you know, really going to miss out on. We'll we'll fill you in. Yeah, she's like, all right. Um, uh, and so we're we're going to go see Avengers probably this weekend, and so we got to get this one last thing done. And I remember seeing that, going, holy shit, does Kurt Russell look good? Uh huh. I was like, what the fuck. <laughs> Because I was like, wait a minute, I saw him in the Quentin Tarantino movie and he looked like ass. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> what's going on here? And then I looked at it and I was like, oh, I bet you they touched him up a little bit here. You know, and, well, that, and that sort of thing. There were articles saying that they it was both CGI and makeup. That mm. he had uh, practical makeup on to make him look younger that they then smoothed out with CGI. That's pretty amazing stuff. That is amazing. You know, that, that second movie was one that I was... That was one of the few times where I've been like, holy shit, they're doing, they're like pulling these obscure comic book things out and they're making mm-hmm. this like really sort of geeky kind of comic booky thing. And then they didn't quite go to the point that I wanted them to go to. And I was mm. like, ah, uh, now never mind. <laughs> it was kind of like that. Was, I was like, I liked was, it fine, but yeah, it was overwhelming. Mm-hmm. It was like, it was. That movie looked like the most expensive movie ever made. Yeah, it sure did. <laughs> there was just so much going on. Yes. Yeah. And as hey, a... you know, it's rather telling about the quality of the film we're actually <laughs> supposed to be talking about that we keep finding ways to not talk about it, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, the last thing I wanted to say was in that whole Marvel deal, um, the the one that I was missing was Thor Ragnarok. Ah. And so we finally watched that and. I loved that movie. Like, I had never thought I was going to have so much fun with a Thor movie. Mm. And I thought Jeff Goldblum was hilarious. Mm -hmm. I thought that every little thing that they kept trying to do was working for me. And I don't know if it's because I have, like, a 30-year history with almost all of those characters. Uh And I was like, oh, this is hilarious because this is not at all how they are in the books. Or this is uh, reminiscent of blah, blah, blah. And so I just had a whole whole lot of fun, like a whole mess of fun with that whole thing. Yeah, that I kind of wonder if that's the movie of the Marvel Universe well, for it most is, people. I mean, it is for me. It's it's my favorite one so far, and we haven't seen yeah. Infinity War yet. But but that's I the... don't like I don't like it that much, hmm. and I'm like the, I'm like the one guy who doesn't. I I laughed at almost all of it, but to me, it just feels so inconsequential i guess and maybe part of it is that i'm kind of done with the whole genre of film comedy where everything you can tell has been improvised uh-huh and i'm just like oh this is marvel's judd apatow movie <laughs> 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 but i mean i still i enjoyed it i'm not gonna i'm not gonna slag it off or anything it's a great movie it's <laughs> funny but I, I like other marvel movies better i guess interesting I interesting so, all right, let's talk more about Dead Men Tells no, Tell No Tales. And since Do I we stu- have to? well, since I stumbled over that title, let's talk about the title. Um, the title <laughs> we have, according to the trivia, in English speaking countries, it made a point <laughs> to mention that uh-huh. this was also called uh, Salazar's Revenge, mm-hmm. which I think is worlds better. Than dead men tell no tales because first of all, tell no tales is like the telltale heart, which is really tough for me to say mm-hmm. for whatever reason. And so, anything that makes it easier for me to speak 
and not stutter over myself, I'm happy with. Salazar's Revenge is much easier for me to say <laughs> than Dead Men Tell No Tales. Um, I think that Dead Men Tell No Tales, I don't know that that tells me anything about what the movie's going to be about. No, that title is purely chosen because it's from the ride. Yeah, it's a line, right? It's a line right from the top of the ride. There's a, there's a talking skull that kind of introduces you to the fact that this is going to be a fantastical thing mm-hmm. that says dead men tell no tales. And then there's a voice that echoes through these caves, dead men tell no tales. So they are banking on that being familiar enough from people who have been to Disneyland or Disney world. And I mean, really it, it means nothing <laughs> to the movie. It mm. means nothing to the movie. Yeah. It's purely there because it was from the ride. And that's not a good reason to have it in the movie. It's really the only reference to the ride in the whole movie, I think. Yeah, I think I think so, because we only there's not been a ton of references in general from the films, right? We had the one where Barbosa was yelling uh right. a line or whatever from like the second or third one. And, and then like the thing with the dog, the guys with trying to get the dog with the keys, oh, that's yeah, yeah, a yeah. scene mm-hmm. right on most of the references are in the first movie. Okay. And not all of them are explicit. A lot of it's just kind of general, like, oh, that kind of looks like a scene from the ride. But then there are explicit things. Most of them are in the first movie, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does make sense. So I, I do wish it was called Salazar's Revenge because that would give me something to kind of fall back on about what the movie's supposed to be about. Yes, especially since you don't even know why Salazar wants to get Jack Sparrow until halfway through the movie when they have this flashback that's right out of the first Hobbit movie. Like, <laughs> remember how, like, in the first Hobbit movie, it was like, oh, we have to, ex- we have to give importance to one of the orcs. Uh-huh. This orc and Thorin have a history. Like, that's what this felt like to me. Yeah, it's, it's one of those where I feel like, the studio, I, I'm guessing it's the studios that they just can't trust that the audience is going to get it. That they just right. can't have a villain that says, you know what? I want to kill Jack Little Sparrow or the Sparrow. <laughs> they can't, he can't just say that. He can't just say to a friend, you know, or he can't just have like a confidant that's like, what the hell is the deal with Jack Sparrow? He's like, oh, well, right. you know, this is, that's why we're here or whatever. And that's the end of it. Well, yeah, they have to mythologize everything. Mm-hmm. And that is, that's frustrating because it's like, well, you don't have to, I'm not stupid. You don't have to <laughs> talk to me like I'm stupid. You know, you don't have to show me all of this. You can, you can let me make up my own decision about what, why he's after him. Or you could just make, you know, a 90-minute action movie. Mm-hmm. Not everything has to have 15 layers of exposition. But Especially when it's confounding anymore. exposition, right? Right. Like, even John Wick 2 is two hours long. It's like, why does John... I love John Wick 2, but it's like, why is that movie not 88 minutes long? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think the last movie that I saw that was an action film that was pretty short, I think, was... Uh, I think it was called The Guest... Oh, that's a great movie. Yeah, that is really good. It's like so it's like better than it deserves to be almost. Uh-huh. I was like, wow, this is actually not bad. <laughs> you know, it was one of those. 
Um, but yeah, I believe that that's a fairly short movie and it's, it's exactly as long as it needs to be. So, but yeah, so more about Dead Men Tell No Tales. What did you think <laughs> about the new, the two new additions to the cast? Well, I think Brenton Thwaites has already proven now that he cannot be uh, a lead in a movie like this. Because mm-hmm. he was also the lead in Gods of Egypt with uh, Jamie Lannister. <laughs> What's his real name? <laughs> Nikolai Coster Waldo. <laughs> no idea. And, and um, Gerard Butler. And it's the same thing. He's just a nobody. He's like Sam Claflin in the fourth one, only mm-hmm. with a bigger part. Um, oh, he's also I, uh, Prince Philip in Maleficent. Oh, that's oh, that's right. Hmm. Which they just started shooting Maleficent too, and I'm like, why? <laughs> <laughs> because it made money. I guess it didn't make that much money, but whatever. Oh, he was also oh. uh, in The Giver. Oh, I didn't see that. Oh, that was bad. It was. I can't imagine. <laughs> <laughs> it was not good. It is a beloved. It is a beloved book that had uh, Meryl Streep and yes. uh, and you know our uh, our our mutual friend Jeff Bridges. Well, so he was in The Giver, and then Kaya Scodelario was in all those Maze Runner movies, which I haven't seen. I would like to see those, but it seems like nobody really liked them that much. But they made three of them. Well, didn't so. the third one come out just uh, direct to Netflix? No, that's no. It, it that went the... to theaters, but it came out like years later because the star got injured on the set. They had to interrupt shooting for like a year. Mm. So it did come out in theaters. No, the Divergent. I, oh, movies, I'm thinking of the Divergent series, yeah. Where they didn't even make the last one because the <laughs> the fourth one did so poorly at the box office they didn't even make the last one. Uh, Isn't that terrible? Man, that's like, bad. <laughs> um, she, I think she's. She is promising in this movie. Mm-hmm. She does. I wish there was more of her. I wish she was the main character. Well, I wish she felt like the main. I think she is the main character, but she doesn't feel like the main character. Yeah, I think you're right on that. I think that she's she's good in the movie. I don't know that she like she deserves more material than what she gets. Well, yeah, this movie. So, like, obviously, they want her to be, like, the kind of hero that proves that women are worthy, because they have all this, like, terrible misogynist stuff in it. Mm-hmm. But I feel like, on balance, it doesn't, she doesn't win out in that stuff, especially when you have, here's one of the things that really pissed me off. Whenever, um, Will and Elizabeth come up in conversation, Jack Sparrow says these terrible fucking things about them. And is like, all leery about like he's like oh Elizabeth she had their beautiful pouty lips and I'm like really <laughs> like didn't those characters earn more respect from Jack Sparrow by the end of those movies than to him just be like oh fuck them I wanted to fuck her but whatever mm-hmm. that really pissed me off and he's like I the never whole... he didn't re- hardly it seemed like he barely remembered who Will Turner was yeah that really rubbed me the wrong way this time Hmm. Like, I don't remember that from seeing it the first, the, the time in the theater, but this time I was like, what the fuck? Like, mm-hmm. you were the sidekicks in their story. Mm-hmm. Like, fuck you. I don't, <laughs> whatever. Um, but I, I just, there's a whole lot of stuff in this movie that I feel like they put in there and then they're like, oh, well, we have this character scoffing at it, so it's okay, but it's not okay. Like, 
the the stuff where they're like calling her uh like she they don't understand what a horologist is. Yes, yes. Or the stuff where like she says uh nobody's or the the guy in the the laboratory, like in the first sequence is like nobody's handled my Herschel before. Uh, okay, so yes, we're like come I, on. I wrote something down about this. I go, we have dick ball and shit jokes in the first twenty yes. minutes. Yes. And not, and then calling women witches and trollops, like yeah. in the first ten minutes, mm-hmm. like ugh. it just it felt very sophomoric sort of humor in this one. Yes, like it was it was much. It's weird to say because it's a it's a Disney film, but it it felt much more immature than what I was expecting. Well, yeah, absolutely, and like okay, that makes sense if you're going to make the whole point of the film that um, Karina is going to show all these men why they're stupid and be the strongest character in the movie but on balance she doesn't come out ahead in the movie i don't feel like i don't think so either and then the 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 thing that kind of rubbed me the wrong way about that was she's supposed to be the strong woman and we have this scene that i think is pretty successful with jeffrey rush and his sacrifice and the reveal of his tattoo and i kind of liked that i was like okay because i was thinking like well how else would they do it Mm-hmm. You know, like, what else could they do? And I was like, I kind of like the way that that ended up working out. But then we have the whole, like, passing of the notebook thing. And right. That just struck me as like, oh, hey, here's the way to get into her pants. Like, make sure you do this. You know, here's this little token. And then right. you get in good with her. And it was just like she was this object to be manipulated is what I felt like watching it. I think that the stuff about her being Jeffrey Rush's daughter would have been more successful if she was Jack Sparrow's daughter. Mm. Interesting. But well, it couldn't, way, it couldn't be Jack Sparrow's daughter because he has to lust after every woman that's in every movie. Yes. So there's no through line through this whole franchise for either of them about either having a lost love mm-hmm. or, or some kind of desire to have children. It's just like out of nowhere, oh, Barbosa had a daughter. Mm-hmm. So it feels like a late script note that was like, we need to give some emotional punch to this movie. Well, what if she's Barbosa's daughter? Yeah. And it just it... <laughs> felt, it felt like a cheap last minute thing. Like, like the end of Rogue One where it's like, Hey, we need to goose this a little bit. Hey, how about Vader kills a bunch of people? You know? Oh man, that's so funny. Cause I, <laughs> I saw someone today who's a, a novelist that I respect. And he was listing that because he had just seen Solo, and uh-huh. he was ranking the different movies, you know, which is the thing on Twitter now, right? Is to rank them. Yes. And of course, my favorite is the one that ranked them in order, and then to read all of the comments. <laughs> yes. About how the person was such an idiot. Anyway, um, he put Rogue One like third, and I was like, "Whoa, what?" Yeah. I just couldn't believe it. I was like, "Wait a minute, that one." Oh, that one just rubbed me wrong from the beginning. And especially toward the end when we had just all of the the types dying left and right. And then we had this Mm -hmm. tacked on Darth Vader thing at the end. And I don't know. I'm pretty sure we've talked about that at length in another Pirates of the Caribbean (laughs) podcast. (laughs) Well, it's probably the fourth one when I was trying to talk about how or I was trying not to talk about how Penelope Cruz was terrible in the movie. Oh, yeah. Well. Or about or about how anyone could ever believe that she was impersonating Johnny Depp as a pirate. <laughs> One of the things that I thought was interesting about this movie, though, is I do think that that Karina Smith 
or Smythe, as it looks like when they write it with a Y. Yes. Um, I think that she's good. She reminds me a little bit of a previous um, actress that we talked about in a in a in a challenged production in a difficult film to sit through in Jupiter Ascending when we talked about Tupperance Middleton. Oh, yeah. And about how she was good, but the movie wasn't very good. Yeah. And I feel similar in this movie to the Karina character to where I feel like she's given it a role. She's, you know, she's doing her, um, her best, but I don't know that the movie is supporting her, you know, with what she's trying to do. No, it's too bad that they established in the post credit scene of the third one that Will and Elizabeth had a son. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because then in this movie, because if they hadn't done that, or if they had established that they had a daughter, that character could have been Will and Elizabeth's daughter, and I think that would have worked better. Yeah, what I because think... she's the stronger char- she's the strongest character in the movie. There's no there's no doubting that. Yeah, she is. She definitely is, and I think that what I like about her is she strikes me as like a f- a few years younger uh, version of Rebecca Hall. Oh, yes. It's kind of what she reminds Mm -hmm. me of when I look at her. Uh, because they kind of resemble each other a little bit, but they Uh both, they both can pull off the, no, no, fuck you. I'm very smart. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I know what I'm talking about. You should listen Mm -hmm. to me. And, and both of them, I feel like can pull that off, which is a, a nice quality to have because there's not too many, you know, uh, I would say probably like B list or C list actresses that can, be in a film and do something other than just being uh, something to look at. Right. You know, because I feel like, unfortunately, outside of your A-list actresses, that's kind of what you're relegated to. You know, you're being the the Megan Fox character. You're being the whatever model replaced her in the Transformers movies and that kind of thing. Yeah, it's too bad that this movie wasn't bigger because I feel like if it was, she would be getting all kinds of good jobs. Mm -hmm. She signed some... I just saw today... Which is May 30th, or is it 31st? It's the 31st. I don't know how many days there are in May. <laughs> I know tomorrow's June 1st. Um, she signed a, a deal today to be in some thriller for Paramount, I think. So she's got a top line movie coming out, but hmm. that's over a year since Dead Men Tell No Tales was in theaters. So yeah, she's been in, uh, well, we mentioned The Maze Runner, right? And she's, she mm-hmm. was in those. And then she was in, she's got a movie coming out called The King's Daughter. And then she's, there's two movies that are in post-production called Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil and Vile, and Die Die in a Gunfight are the other two movies. None of which are anything I've heard of, you know, I mean, which doesn't mean that they're bad, but they're not big movies that, you know, are on the radar. Yeah, I don't think she's, you know, the lead in any of those. Yeah. Or anything like that. So, I don't know. I I mean, she's... um, you know, it's, she's not exactly up there in age or anything like no. that. So it's not like her car- her career has been settled or anything. But I think that she's quite good. And I hope that, uh, of you know, of anything that comes from this movie, I think that Javier Bardem is still scary as hell looking. Right. I think that he still delivers a very scary uh, voice performance in most of his things. And I think that she's mm-hmm. quite good. I bet you... Uh, this isn't much of a bet because it's it's a hundred percent. 
There is somewhere at Bad Robots production offices, Kaya Scodelario's audition for Rey in Star Wars. Oh, absolutely. I, I guarantee yeah. you she was on the short list. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> she looks a little like Daisy Ridley does and yes. looks a little like Kira Knightley does. And uh-huh. Yeah, so I can believe that. I can see where she would have auditioned for that. And if, if she didn't, then shame on her agency. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and she seems like she would be really good for... Um, you know, the gluttony of, of different superhero type productions that are out there. She's, she seems like she would be good for that because she has a pretty strong presence. Oh, yeah. You know, she has a good look and she has, you know, the experience of being in a major motion picture. So you would think that, uh, she would be able to land something in, in a film like that, but I guess we'll see. She could be a good older, you know, slightly older woman who shows Peter Parker the ropes of love, perhaps. <laughs> there you go. You know, I still haven't seen I still haven't seen the Tom Holland version, the Spider Man Homecoming. Uh, it's okay. Yeah. I know I know some people go crazy about it and I'm like, I don't know, I'm just not uh I've seen my Spider Man. Well, you'll be shocked to hear this, but like almost all Marvel movies, it's too long. <laughs> <laughs> weird. Weird, yes. weird, weird. Speaking of uh, movies that are too long, I saw you tweeting about the Matrix sequels over the weekend. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I watched I, – I don't know what got me on a Matrix thing the other night, but then I watched the Matrix. And it's just – to watch the Matrix now almost 20 years later, it's just like every every moment you're just like, oh, this is so great. <laughs> I, I wonder if I would watch it and it would make me feel sort of melancholy because I remember seeing it and was just like, oh, my God, I can't imagine what movies are going to be like now. Mm. Because I, it was it felt like a whole status, you know, like the, the, the status was changed after The Matrix right. is what I felt like. And that doesn't that necessarily come to fruition. What do you what what do you think is the single biggest byproduct of the Matrix that you can still see in movies today? I would say it's the way that action sequences are shot now. Yeah, specifically by Zack Snyder. Oh yeah. I feel like he was he's the biggest student of the Matrix. <laughs> I would I think so. And what's weird is like I have this strange relationship with Zack Snyder because 300 came out and I was like, "Oh, fucking awesome." Uh-huh. It's based on this comic book I know. They're doing this slow motion shit. Uh-huh. You know, and I was like, so cool. And then he was doing uh, Watchmen, and I was like, oh, my God, that's such a famous comic book. Awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, and I saw, um, you know, I'd gone back and I'd seen the zombie movie that he'd made, and I tried to ignore Sucker Punch, even though I thought <laughs> it was like, oh. I watched it and was like, I was at home by myself and I was like I feel weird watching this like I feel like my parents are going to walk in any moment going what are you doing watching this movie <laughs> this is about like raping little girls like what are you watching this for yeah. I was like I don't know mm-hmm. you know um, and then he comes out with Watchmen and I was like oh wait no you didn't you didn't get it like no 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 you don't, I don't I think you're dumb <laughs> you know I was oh, kind of wow. like I kind well, of we could have an interesting Watchmen discussion then. <laughs> Cuz I watched that and was like, "Well, I think you missed the whole point of the of what Watchmen is." And oh. I watched I watched Man of Steel and I am kind of a defender of Man of Steel. I thought that, that was better than most people think, but then after that, I feel like he's gone completely off the rails. Well, and now he's going to make 
Ayn Rand's The uh, Fountainhead. <laughs> Who's excited for that? Oh, man. If you're Line excited up, kids. for that, I bet you're wearing a Make America Great Again hat right now. jeez. Oh, Did I say that out loud? You're either, wearing, <laughs> you're either wearing a MAGA hat or you're already in Scientology, one or the other. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, jeez. That was so disappointing when I found out that uh, Elizabeth Olsen was a Scientologist. Or, yeah, I, that's I, a thing, isn't it? Yeah. Well, and uh, what's her name from from uh, Handmaid's Tale is too. Oh, that, um, <laughs> that's what I meant to say. <laughs> oh, is that who you meant? <laughs> I, I always think of Peggy Olson <laughs> when I think of her. Elizabeth Moss, like, yeah. Like she's in this show about like you know <laughs> subjugating women into a cult, and it's like, but you're a scientist. Yeah, I know. It's like, wait a minute. <laughs> and I, I told my wife that, and she's like, I, I yeah, let's watch the show. I don't want to hear about this. Right. Like, it's basically like, don't ruin it for me because that's one of the few things that we watch that she enjoys more than I do. Uh-huh. Like, I really liked that first season because I was like, oh, it's hitting this bit from the book. It's hitting this beat. Like, this mm-hmm. is an ex- a wonderful example of how you can stay true to the novel, but go off on your own little, uh, tangents here and there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I loved it. And then now the second season, I'm liking, I'm still liking it, but I'm liking it a little less. And my wife is still like way into it. Yeah. And so she's digging it, but I'm just kind of like, yeah, yeah. And I'll fall asleep while I'm watching or something. And she's like, well, you got to last this, watch those last couple minutes. I was like, nah, I'm good. Let's just go on to the next episode. <laughs> so what the whole point of this uh, episode is, is that, uh, dead men tell no tales doesn't have a lot to say. No. In the movie. And I sleep a lot during movies. <laughs> Cause I feel like that's like the third time where I said, ah, I fell asleep. Whatever. I didn't fall asleep during this. I was eating sunflower seeds because I started getting sleepy. But I still. <laughs> oh, that's that's an interesting tactic. I hadn't. I haven't tried that. Oh, you know when uh, when I used to live with our mutual friend, I would go back to North Platte quite often, and I would uh-huh. have to eat sunflower seeds on the way so it would keep uh-huh. me awake. And so that's my trick whenever I'm reading something or I'm watching something that I'm not super into. Then I'll uh, eat some sunflower seeds, and it keeps me up, no problem. That's pretty good. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Do you think that they're going to make another movie in this franchise? And if they do, what is it going to be? Hmm. Well, let me look down at the box office. <laughs> it's <laughs> The cumulative worldwide gross was almost $800 million, so I would think, uh-huh. yes, they're going to make something. And I read a thing yesterday that said the budget may have gone as high as three hundred and twenty million on this movie. Mm. Wow. Yeah. And so, which what, you, when, like I said, when you think about all the animators they had to make every frame of Salazar's crew look like it did, I mean, you can believe that. And the sharks. And, oh, that fucking scene! <laughs> that is so stupid. <laughs> Not only, like, the zombie sharks are stupid, but the, the big slow-mo shot of the shark going uh, over yeah. <laughs> Johnny Depp and Brenton Thwaites, there's all this water dumping on their faces, but they don't flinch or anything. So you can, like, it's just, oh, just put water in their faces. But they didn't, but it's like they didn't plan for that. And what's so it's... dumb, <laughs> what's so dumb is, is the shark just jumps over them for no reason. Yes, and it's so just it's like... so they can have a shot for the trailer. <laughs> so it's like, what are you doing, shark? You're not doing yeah. anything. <laughs> it's like you completely, it's, it's like if someone just trips and they put that in the trailer because it's like <laughs> the shark completely missed what it was trying to do. Yes. And exactly. then they're just like, no, that's gold. We're putting that in. So yeah, that, that 
amount of money on that stuff is just stupid. And I think that those parts looked good. Um, I think that the money was, you know, that the money they got what they're what they paid for in terms of the the actual look, but for in terms of the story and what it makes the audience think, I don't think that it was worth anything. And so I I don't know. I guess I think that I'm in the same boat as you to where I would love it if they would make another movie, but it would be focused on the Turners and the new Barbosa. Mm-hmm. And they've got some kind of issue to where either Will is kidnapped or I I don't want it to be the typical like woman kidnapped and they have to rescue her thing. Like if it was Kira Knightley and Kaya Scordelario as the stars of the movie, mm-hmm. I would be one hundred percent on board. Yeah, the two of them have to rescue the men, or the men yes. are, or like the boy, like the son is killed. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, honestly, yes, that would that would be fine. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's killed off, and uh, and Will tries to avenge him, and he gets caught, and the two of them have to try to rescue him or something. Because I just don't know. They are they are very determined to put the British in every one of these movies, even though they well, don't yes. have anything to do. Well, but yeah. they lended an air of class. <laughs> <laughs> because I was like, oh, wait a minute. David Wenham's in this movie? Okay. Okay, David Wenham, do something. And he just didn't do anything. No, but he shows up for no reason. Like, why, like okay, how does David Wenham know the witch? The actual witch that Barbosa was talking to at the beginning of the movie. Oh man! Okay, I was like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, I was trying to forget about the whole witch thing. Like, I what? know. Like, okay, so we had the witch here, and we had the witch a few movies ago that was bound, but she was like a voodoo witch. Well, yeah, Tia Dalma. Yeah, yeah, she was a different witch, and then it mm-hmm. just was like, all right, so we have this other witch, and then we have these other ghost underwater dead people. Yeah. And it's like, it's just slight variations on the same sort of stuff. Yeah. I feel like this is probably the end for this franchise. You think so? I think so. I, well, the only thing that I think is probably in the back of Disney's head is let's see how the next fantastic beasts movie does. Mm. Where if they have some play in money. What's that? They have some folding money laying around that, that they could throw towards pirates. Well, yeah, because it's like it, Johnny Depp is a big part of the next Fantastic Beasts movie. There's a lot of controversy about it. Like, if that's huge, then maybe Johnny Depp is still viable. viable. But I'm not sure if Pirates of the Caribbean is still viable. Mm. If you came back with a completely new concept in 20 years... Or, or whatever the cycle of a Hollywood reboot is now, maybe 15, maybe 10. <laughs> like if you came back with somebody without Johnny Depp and, but with somebody who is hot at the time, I don't know. Maybe, but I feel like this is the end. This is the end of the franchise. Well, what about this? Isn't, uh, Disney's coming out with their own streaming service, right? Yes, that's true. So what if they oh. led with a series that was Pirates of the Caribbean and they could make it an anthology or something and they could That's do That's not a bad stuff. idea. I know, I got it. Hey, Nailed you, it. Should, you should probably call Bob Iger right now. Hey, Bob. <laughs> uh, I'm on the first name basis with Bob, just like Rachel and I are with Christopher Nolan. We'll just call him oh, up. Oh, yeah. And we're like, hey, Chris, uh, Dunkirk, a little slow, 
liked yeah. it though. You know, <laughs> try again. Make sure uh, we get press passes next time. I'll call Bob up and I'll say, so here's the deal. Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean on your streaming service anthology. Boom. Give me all the money. You know what? That's exactly what they should do. That's what they should do for real. You're a fucking genius. I know. You know I, I really am. We have, <laughs> we have, uh, we have episodes that are coming out now where it's, uh, Rachel and I are fixing movies that are not very good. Mm. Or, I like that. or premises that are good, but the movie itself isn't that good. Uh-huh. And so we started out last week with the, uh, the horror thriller, uh, movie Identity with John Cusack. Uh huh. And Ray Liotta and talked about how it, it's a good idea, but it just kind of isn't very good. And then the, yes. as of recording, the movie that we talked about today or that released today was the Justin Timberlake led science fiction film in time mm. which has fully taken over my mind to where i can't think of anything other than this uh this legitimate 13 episode um like deal that i'm writing for like a, if because what wow. i said what i said in the episode was they need to make this and have it be on Netflix and explore this world and it needs to be a mini series and it needs to be Michael B. Jordan, not <laughs> Justin Timberlake. <laughs> and it needs to like explore all of this different stuff about this world where nobody can age past 25 years old. Wow. And there's all of this different potential that the movie just kind of squanders. Right. Okay. So, so Pirates of the Caribbean, mm-hmm. the series. Mm-hmm. So. All new characters. Yes. The old, the old wizened pirate who shows whoever the new pirate the ropes, Kurt Russell. Oh, <laughs> perfect. There you go. <laughs> oh, that is awesome. We can need to call Bob Iger right now. <laughs> like I know his office hours are out and you know, they're not going to, ah, fuck it. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, Kurt Russell. Yeah. Hmm. Because I'm sure there's plenty of other different uh, myths that we can dig up that Kurt Russell can be one of those people, or he can mm-hmm. be he can be just a, a regular pirate that has his own mythology that, hey, do, that we don't have to wait. explain. You can combine Pirates of the Caribbean and Captain Ron. <laughs> oh, gross, Captain Ron! Oh, it's it's. <laughs> The first episode is going to be Pirates of the Caribbean overboard, and it's going to have Goldie Hawn. And it's oh my god! <laughs> See what happens when I drink zombie dust, folks. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's really funny. But I do think that it would work well as a little uh, as a little anthology series, though, because you absolutely would, you wouldn't have to dig too deep into a lot of the characters. You wouldn't have to sort of fake importance. You could maybe get. An Orlando Bloom to show up for an episode or something, uh-huh. and it could be a big deal that he had the pilot, and then he sort of hands it off to these other people. Hey, he could be the star. What the hell's he doing? <laughs> yeah, that's true. What is he doing? He would probably be delighted to find out that somebody wanted to be in a Netflix series. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because he, you know, that's that's a thing that uh, that's a thing to where you know it's. Disney's coming out with their new streaming that they want to rival Netflix with. Yeah. And they're pulling all of their material and all that sort of thing in the, in the near-ish future. So, I don't know. I think they should do it. I think that it would be more, 
financially beneficial to do that than as opposed to dropping three hundred and twenty million on another film. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So. This fucking genius. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> All right. So, anything else about uh, Dead Men Tell No Tales? And that's the last time I'm fucking saying that title in my no, life. No, I think this will this will probably be the last time anyone ever talks about this movie on a podcast anywhere for any reason. So, so I think we're done. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say out of these five films? Which one's your favorite? I still like Dead Man's Chest the best. I think it's the it, it's the most exciting. It looks the best. The music is the best. Well, no, the music's the best in the third one. It's mm-hmm. it's close between the second and the third one because I just love Gore Verbinski unleashed, doing mm-hmm. as many outlandish things as possible. But that second one just kind of hits all the all the right notes for me, and it's it's really exciting and it's really funny and it's really weird, and mm-hmm. I like it. Yeah, I think I'm right there with you. The second and the third ones, those you could tell were made with the same voice in mind and everyone was on the same page yes. and, and whether that was, Hey, this one was really successful. Oh, you want us to do this? Sure. Yeah, we'll do it. Fucking a whatever. Yeah. You know, there, everyone was sort of gung ho and he looked like he had a, a pretty good idea of where he wanted to go and that sort of thing. And I thought it was, you know, I think that those are good movies, not just good sitting down popcorn, like, Oh, whatever. We got some time to mm-hmm. kill kind of movies. What about the ones that are least successful? Is it four or five for you? I think ultimately, I can't. I I can't believe I'm saying this, but I think the fifth one is the worst one, and I thought the fourth one was so clearly <laughs> the worst one. But now seeing this one again, it's just a big nothing. Mm-hmm. Like. D- like we didn't, I feel like we didn't talk about the things that actually work in this movie. Well, other than Caius Scotelario, I do think that the that the visual idea of the island that reflects the stars mm-hmm. is a nice visual idea. Mm-hmm. I think that the visual idea of the sea splitting is cool, yes. but I don't get why it happens. Like <laughs> exactly. all the interesting <laughs> things in this movie are in the last twenty minutes, but mm-hmm. until you get there, it's. It's exposition that doesn't even tell you what's happening. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, I did write down, and I can't believe that I forgot to mention, especially when we were scrounging for things to talk about in a positive way about the movie. But <laughs> I do think that the whole guillotine stuff was fun. Like when he's spinning up and down and the guillotine's almost getting him and then it's going back and that kind of thing. Yes. That, I like I like the fixed camera under his face as the guillotine is spinning mm-hmm, around. Mm-hmm. That was one of the sequences where I was like, oh, okay, this is like silly... Silly pirates fun. Yeah. Was like that bit. But otherwise it was like a lot of, a lot of stuff where they were trying things and I was like, God, I don't know. This, it feels a little bit like it's, uh, someone parroting a pirates. Well, yeah. Like I remember liking the whole opening sequence with the bank. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) But then when I watched it again, I'm like, well, but this doesn't really work. It's just more like the idea of it is fun than it's actually fun. Yeah. It was more of like, what if we were able to show on screen (laughs) and you're like, yeah, wow, that'd look cool because, but I was watching it going, wait a minute, all the money's falling out. Like what the hell's the point of this then? Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) So I don't know. Um, I would say that the fourth one for me was less successful. And I think that it's, Part of the, I, I don't know, I just had such a problem with Penelope Cruz well, and, the, yeah. and the way that that whole thing went. Um, 
I didn't care much for that. And, and that was also when we had, um, that was the last one with Bill Nye, right? Was four. No, he's not. No, third one is the last. The third he's one? He's not in the fourth one at all. Yeah. Oh. Hmm. Is it the third one where he's not as, not nearly as, uh, solid as he is in the second one then? Well, yeah, there's a, there's one scene in the third one where you see him as, as a human. Okay. I gotcha. Yeah. yeah, because I really liked that character and I was really, um, hopeful that that was going to stick around because he was just like such mm-hmm. a, a strong villain, I felt like. And then he oh, was yeah, kind of, absolutely. it just kind of, he was, felt to me like he was forgotten about by the time we got to the third one, I guess. I feel like he's gonna, he's the lasting image of these movies after Jack Sparrow. Visually, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that really what it, I think what it boils down to me, four versus five, there was stuff in four that made me laugh. Mm, okay. This one, there's one funny scene in the fifth one, and it's the scene with Paul McCartney. <laughs> Weirdly. <laughs> Singing the like, John Lennon song, right? <laughs> yeah, that scene made me laugh, but nothing else made me laugh, and these other, these movies are funny. You know, yeah. they're, they're all funny to some degree, but this one was not. Hmm. Yeah. I think that, uh, yeah, I don't know, I think that, though, <laughs> I can't believe that I'm saying that this one that we're talking about, I've had less problems with, I guess. <laughs> um, I think it's, maybe it's because the female lead was so strong for me. Yeah. Is why I liked it a little bit more. But it, they're both, you know, it's a difference for me between like a one and a half and a two. Or well, something. yeah, it's just, to me, it's, it's even more frustrating because of that. Oh, because yeah. Because I, I see, see the that, movie sure. that could have been. Uh huh. Oh, and those yeah. are the, those are the worst. Those are the movies. And that's why this one for me was just kind of like a, huh. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, and so that, that's why it landed where it was when, as opposed to, uh, as opposed to four where I'm just like, oh, geez, I'm so frustrated with, with this first <laughs> one after Gore Verbinski, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. Okay. God well, damn it. Gore Verbinski's awesome. He know? is. He <laughs> just says, you know what? The hell with it. Here's what we're doing. Yep. I don't understand. Doesn't matter if you don't understand. <laughs> okay. This is what we're doing. Um, so what else, is there anything else that you want to sort of leave the listeners with before we exit from the Pirates series? Hmm. Cause I know that we've talked about the ride and we've talked about sort of the, uh, the way that the film doesn't really too often coincide with what the, the ride itself does. Could you imagine a world back before the first one came out that there'd be five of these movies based on a, a ride? No, because <laughs> when they announced the first one, I'm like, what, what are you doing? Like, nobody's going to go see a pirate movie. Nobody's going to go see a movie based on a Disneyland ride. Mm-hmm. And then it made $300 million domestic, which I'm still a little baffled how that movie made that much money. I think it was the right time for... Orlando Bloom, because mm-hmm. it was right, be- it was in between Two Towers and Return of the King. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of Lord of the Rings people probably saw that movie more than once. And then people went and they saw this incredibly out there and instantly iconic performance from Johnny Depp. I mean, <laughs> say what you want about Johnny Depp, but this franchise wouldn't exist without that performance. Yeah, it wouldn't. I mean, I don't. I, what's funny is it's like, when I think pirates, I think people dressing up like Johnny Depp for Halloween. Yeah, exactly. Like, he redefined what the word even means. Mm-hmm. 
Because you, I mean, you will not go a Halloween without seeing someone doing that. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's what you call like a defining movie and a defining performance. Yeah, like I remember one of the last, before Premiere Magazine folded a few years ago, one of their last issues was like the 100 greatest performances of all time. And Jack Sparrow was the cover of that. Mm. So it's like, it's, and that was years after the first one had come out. And he was nominated for an Academy Award for it. I mean, it is an all-time character. Whether it's an all-time series of movies, I don't know. Probably not. I don't, I feel like most people don't remember even what happens in these movies or that they, or the movies, anything about the movies, but they remember him because it's iconic. Mm -hmm. That's crazy to think about is, you know, the, and I think people forget how much money these movies make. Yeah. You know, even the ones that are less successful story wise, they still make a ton of cash and people, you know, complain about, oh, they're making another pirates movie. Well, you showed up and watched it, didn't you? You know? Yeah, because like, like I remember when the fifth one came out, like, why are they making another one? I'm like, well, because the fourth one made over a billion dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so it's it's just funny to think of a Disneyland ride that produced something that is a generational character that you know people are going to be dressing up as for a holiday for as long as I'm alive. Yeah, and, and he wasn't even in the ride. Yeah. It was, an, it was like <laughs> right. this weirdo original creation to goose up this terrible idea to make a movie based off a Disneyland ride. Hmm. <laughs> That's crazy. That's crazy. That means uh, don't believe people when they say your ideas are stupid, kids. Yeah, because nobody knows. I mean, William Goldman has famously said it, and it's true. Nobody knows anything. Mm-hmm. Nobody knew Deadpool was going to make the movie, the money that it made. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. nobody knows anything. Nobody knew Quiet Quiet Place this year has made so much money and it came out of nowhere. Yeah. And so I, you never know. And what's funny is we did go see that and I loved that movie too. And I was sitting there crying like a child when towards <laughs> wow. the end of that movie. So. We did not see that because I, I saw the trailers and I'm like, that looks way too stressful. <laughs> like, I'll see that at home. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's one of those where, you know, and, and part of the thing that's so strange is that, you know, people have this sort of uh, strange juxtaposition where it's like, wait a minute, Jim from The Office directed this and he stars in mm-hmm. it? And it's like, yeah, he does. And yeah. he directs it not flashy or he directs it almost like Ron Howard would if I can circle back to that to where it's everything is set up everything's there for a reason everything makes sense there's no like what the hell is this like they didn't Uh talk about that you know you're like oh shit and the next thing happens you're like oh that was this you know Uh and some of it's really obvious and some of it is real patient with its payoff and some things are surprising and you're and some things are freaking terrifying, and it's uh, it's really solidly directed. I think. So, well, good for him. Yeah, exactly. Good for him. Like he didn't have anything else going for him, right? Yeah, like John Krasinski, Jesus. Yeah, anyway. too bad he married such an ugly, untalented woman, huh? <laughs> yeah, and who who demanded that she be in the role of that she plays? <laughs> yeah, sheesh, they've got it rough. Those two. 
They sure do. I know. All right. Well, let's go ahead and close this one out. If you have any comments, suggestions, or movies that you'd like to hear us talk about, you could email us at plainlabelpodcast at gmail.com. You could also follow the show over at Twitter. Our handle is at plainlabelpod. You could follow me over there as well. I'm at ericwilliams79. We also have a Facebook page and an Instagram account. Just search for Plain Label Podcast and you'll find us there. If you wanted to help us out a little bit, you could check out the show notes and you'll find a link to our Amazon wish list. We've got, you know, some technical stuff over there. Rachel uh, continues to refuse to use a microphone, just yells into her, <laughs> yells into her Mac, which doesn't work super well. <laughs> so you can get her a mic if you wanted to. So I do want to thank Sean one more time for people coming, for coming on and talking about pirates once again. If people wanted to hear more from you or read some of your writing or get in touch with you, where could they do that? Go to at Sean Stanglin DH on Twitter or go to dailyherald.com and search Sean Stanglin, S-T-A-N-G-L-E-N-D, and you'll find all my articles, and uh, I hope some of them are good. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's almost like the Pirates series. I hope some of them are good. <laughs> yes. How, that would be ideal, though. Whether they were good or not, it still produce a lot of cash, right? <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. I got it's. I'm making it rain in here. All those clicks, all those clicks are bringing the Daily Herald all the money. All right, so thank you for listening. And Rachel and I are going to be back next week with our brand new theme. Yeah, yeah.